Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. And <laughs> <laughs> as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. Meredith O'Reilly has been an entertainer for over 35 years. A popular and reliable ensemble member and supporting player, her theatrical highlights include Starkers, Les Miserables, Hello Dolly, Chess, The New Rocky Horror Show, Gypsy, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, the producers, Karaoke the Musical, Rain, Love Never Dies, The Adams Family and My Fair Lady. In this episode, Meredith reflects on a career of great joy and wonderful moments in the theatre. She ponders what has contributed to her longevity in an industry that can be precarious and she engages with an effusive and sanguine personality. Meredith is one of my favourite folk and what a joy to feature her story on stages. So, I cooked you dinner. How was that? Oh my gosh, you make the most beautiful ragu. Beautiful, yummy, yummy, yum. It's not every guest on stages that is fed Meredith O'Reilly. <laughs> You've heard about me and my appetite. <laughs> <laughs> well, it precedes me. <laughs> well, that came with the, with your contract deal, I think. You know, <laughs> must be fed. <laughs> uh, nice to see you, Meredith. Always nice to see you too, Pete. Yeah. Um, you're a weekly listener, I believe. I as do. You, as you're putting out your washing. Not just putting out the washing, the pre-wash spray and the prep of the washing. I'm a big washer and into the into the machine and after the cycle's finished, and I'm still listening the whole time and then I hang it carefully in my back courtyard. I love washing. I once heard that Jeanette Howard used to do the washing when she was stressed and my whole adult life I think I've done the washing when I'm stressed but of course you have to do the washing anyway right <laughs> well yeah it's that, um, that, that that weekly chore that must be attended to but I quite like it I'm a bit of a weirdo like that I like washing <laughs> I like doing the washing well I suppose well, I, and I, you make it more entertaining I have stages on I go ooh who haven't I heard let's have a listen to this well I quite like ironing I think it's a very therapeutic oh, now you've lost me oh okay oh no I never iron maybe we could do a contra and yeah uh, maybe you can wash I buy stretchy clothes you wash my smalls and um, <laughs> I'll iron your your blouse. <laughs> um, Meredith, this is exciting also because you're my first in-person conversation for, I'd say, about three months. Really? You know? Yeah, with lockdown and oh. all that sort of thing. All of my chats have been via the Zoom platform. Well, you'd never know. It always sounds like you're in the same room. Well, it's, it gives pretty good audio, I must admit. Mm. And um, But to, to be opposite somebody face-to-face is, is a lot of fun again. So I'm, I'm glad it's you. Ah, oh, nice. We met on a show... About 23 years ago. Oh, please don't tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> How to succeed in business without really trying at the production company. Yes, we did. And that was, I think that was the first and possibly only show I've never had to audition for. And I'll tell you for why. Because I'd done Gypsy the year before with uh, the wonderful Judy Canelli, directed by Nancy Hayes, John McTurnan, and I played Tessie Tura with Maria Mercedes and uh, Jackie Reese, and it was a joyous experience on many levels. But after, but I was made to audition for that because my then husband was the musical director, Guy Noble, and he said, "All right, Meredith can audition for this, but she has to be twice as good as anyone else." And he told me he told them that. And I knew Nancy a little, and I think Nancy knew who I was. So I went in and I auditioned, and Jack Webster did the choreography, and he did a little Tessie Tura thing with me, and I, I got the gig. And then it went very well. And the next year they were doing How to Succeed, and they said to Guy, we would like you to MD again. And I said to him, oh, God, Smitty's on my bucket list. I'd love to be 
lead girl's best friend, Smitty, who's a wiseacre and she gets good numbers and everything. He said, you're perfect for that. And he actually said to them, actually, I think Meredith would be perfect for this and she probably doesn't need to audition. And they said, we don't think she needs to audition either. And I still think to this day that's the only role I've just been handed. So it, it's interesting. It, it must be difficult for, for showbiz couples um, when one is in a creative role and one is a performer because mm-hmm. <laughs> constantly being aware of not being wanting to be accused of nepotism. Or yeah, like and, and, and Guy in particular was very against that. So I don't think anyone could have ever legitimately accused us of that because I don't think, apart from those two occasions and a musical that he wrote called Karaoke the Musical that he actually wrote the lead role for me in, that we actually ever worked together after having met on Hello Dolly on a year-long tour. So we couldn't be accused of nepotism because, you know... I did audition for a couple of other shows that he was... Um, on and he would leave the room and for various reasons I, I I always got very close but I didn't get them and in the end it was fine then there was someone else to look after the children <laughs> me <laughs> it must make it tough at home also if you don't get a gig although it depends on the couple I suppose. oh no 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 I, no. I would just go oh yeah sure they'll be great you know no I'm not I'm not like that yeah yeah mm. well over 30 years in the business you're a bit of a Jill of all trades. I think you can say over 35. 35 yeah. now? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I think it's more than 35. Right. Yeah, so, so what do you put down that longevity to? Um, I was never... Um, I heard someone else on your show recently say I never wanted to be a star, and I think that's me. I never wanted to be a star. I wanted to keep working. Sid James, the old British comedian, died on stage. He did. And I always thought, that'd be a good way to go. Like, not now. <laughs> <laughs> give it a while. Yeah, give, give it 20 years, yeah. 30 years, 40, I don't know how many. But when I'm an old lady, be quite good. It wouldn't be very nice for the audience or your fellow company members, but it'd be pretty good to go out on stage. I think just um, I've always been willing to have a go at most things if I thought they suited me. And you usually don't get cast in something if it doesn't suit you. Um, and I've done sort of interesting fringy thing and usually for money though I don't usually work for no money that's just one small rule I've had my whole career but um I don't know I think yeah just just keeping plodding along and not thinking that something's beneath me because there's always that person that goes oh I saw you in that and you were doing blah and I go yeah yeah that was me oh you you know so it's worth doing even the little cameos and stuff if it's if your heart's in it and you're doing it for the right reason yeah there's very few of us who can Make a, a living full time from from the arts, from performance. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. So, what what have you done to to help pay the bills in, oh, in those real times estate between agent. jobs? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I got my real estate. Actually, it was Guy who said back in two thousand and nine when we had two small children. He said, "You've got a really good brain. You know, what else do you like apart from this? Sitting around waiting for the agent to call is not viable, and you know, everyone needs two incomes, and especially to live in Sydney and." Um, I said, well, I've always liked property. It's like porn. You know, you go on the web and blah, blah, blah. And this was in the early days of all that. And he said, well, let's look into that. And there was a six-week full-time course at the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. And I got my licence. I got my auctioneer's credentials. And ever since then, I've been a buyer's agent, pretty much. But I've just recently gone back into sales. But I quite like it. And you can dip in and out of it. And this fantastic career that we have that's exciting when you're working and very well paid in musicals when you're working but when you're not working it's zero so you have to have something to keep the bills going and um yeah I've always found that real estate's a pretty good fit I like people people seem to like me and um I love property I never get tired of it and you love talking to people and I I think uh, um a skill in your uh, an asset um, in your bank of skills would be that, that you're very authentic too and oh, thanks. and, and, and no, that you would be very real with your customers about what they're getting into and, and what would best suit them. Yeah, and unless we diverge too much into the world of real estate, but it is an old adage that women are largely the decision makers, obviously not if it's a couple of gay men buying, but usually in most situations it's often a woman making a decision. And if you're a woman who's also bought and sold property and raised a couple of kids and this and that, then they, they relate to you. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Hmm. Um, auctioneer also? 
Yes, yes, auctioneer also. So I won the Novice Auctioneer um, of the Year 2009 for Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. They want to run a statewide competition. I think I'm only the second woman ever to have won it. And even ever since, I think there's only one other woman. And it irritates me a bit. They want to talk the talk that there should be more women auctioneers and yet they don't walk the walk. Um, there, there are still very few of us and the opportunities are few and it's quite a closed shop. Last year I went in the comp again. Again, I was in the last five and there was a wonderful girl who I thought, she's better than me on the night. She should win. She's terrific. And she didn't win. A boy won who was no better. He was okay. He was good. He was good. Let it be said he was good. She was as good. Why not give it to her to then launch her career and have her known as well? So that kind of irritates me a bit. But yeah, it's still still in my um, little uh, quiver of things I'd still like to do. And I can see it's going to happen sooner rather than later in my current position. Well, there's a degree of showbiz oh, yes. in auctioneering, dare Heavens, I say. Yes. It's all about performance. And, oh, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a guy called Josh Horner who was in um, Chorus Line and he's up on the Gold Coast and he does these fabulous videos where he's dancing through them because he's a wonderful dancer and I could be the singing auctioneer. <laughs> so so jo- Josh has become uh, gone into real estate? Yeah. Because he, he had a, a wonderful career as a, a ballet dancer. He's and fantastic he was in and Billy Elliot on Broadway. And... He's killing it. He's wonderful. Yeah. And he does these hilarious videos where he sachets in and pirouettes and he's terrific and people love him up there. You've got to have a gimmick. Gotta have a gimmick, yes. <laughs> as as Tessie Tura tells us. Now, um, you're a Leo. I am a Leo. Are you into astrology? Do you put oh, much only, faith in... Oh, only that I'm a definite Leo. Like, right. I've always had a small mane of hair. Um, I'm bossy. I'm outgoing. Well, so I looked it up. Leo traits include being confident. Yep. Tick. Uh, being the centre of attention. Yep, like tick. that. Uh, <laughs> drama adoring. Yep. Tick. Ambitious. Loyal, mm. fiercely protective of their nearest and dearest. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a, a lioness. Yes, correct. Generous, luxury mm-hmm. loving. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite luxury? I think nice champagne, nice yeah. alcohol. I don't spend a lot on clothes and things for myself. I think, yeah, I think probably just that. Sunny and big hearted. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely, Miss, Miss Meredith O'Reilly. Oh. <laughs> Do you sing in the shower? When I'm warming up for auditions, yes. If, and right. if I know that I've got something coming up and I ought to sing in the shower, but I'm usually just doing vocal exercises. I don't sing songs in the shower. The problem with having a couple of judgy daughters who are brilliant singers themselves is that they won't tolerate mum singing in the shower. And also I get up a bit earlier than them generally. <laughs> but um, And I also have, I sing in a big band um, every fortnight and I love it. And on those days I'll have a bit of a sing in the shower as I'm warming up for the day and, you know. Get ready. Do the girls have a, a penchant for uh, performance? Do you Thank think God they'll, no. they'll follow their parents? Thank God, no. no. No, 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 no. They had every skill. Yeah. Uh, they, they both had ballet and tap and everything they wanted and singing lessons and instruments. And they starred in all the school musicals and they were very good. Lucy did tap with Tracy Wilson for years and years and years. And they, they were both really good. Um, and mercifully, they went, nah. And Lucy's a scientist and Hayley is uh, in advertising, a writer. So, um, yeah, no, no interest in the arts, thank God. What about your childhood? What was that like? Did you have music lessons and dance lessons and singing well, lessons? And... We were not well off, it has to be said. Dad was a Methodist minister, so there was always music in the family. I'm one of four, I'm the baby. And um, there were sing-alongs around the piano. There was uh, all the rellos would come over and there'd be Messiah in four parts. Dad was a self-taught pianist, but a very fine singer. And I once said to Dad, Dad, why did you never become a professional singer? Your voice is so beautiful, so trained. It was a, it was a bit like Peter Cousins' range, like a high baritone, but had that really nice, rich tenorial sound. He said, darling, I couldn't keep four children in Australia in the 1950s on a singer's wage you know that was never going to work um mum adored music but was not musical she'd like to listen she actually didn't sing in tune she really she would say oh I don't sing in tune she really didn't sing in tune my brothers were uh eldest brother Bernard learnt flute um my sister learnt piano and my other brother learnt piano they were all very good at their instruments I was rubbish but I didn't in my defense 
get to start an instrument till they'd finished because of the money. They're much older. So at age 11, I started piano with a mean woman who would, you know, she was one of those ruler on the knuckles thing. I just, I never took to it. I was, you know. And then I thought, oh, maybe I could do a couple of singing lessons to learn a bit of breathing in high school. And that I liked. I could always sing, but uh, singing was the thing. I'd just say, oh, this is easy. <laughs> I'll just do that. And then people think I'm musical because I do that because I can't play anything. But I read music, so and I find that very helpful. Who were the vocalists that you were, you were listening to? Um, Barbara Streisand yeah. was my singing teacher. Um, <laughs> I, I had every album. I bought them all myself with my pocket money. And I loved her, and I would just listen to the phrasing. It's still... Nearly everything she sings is impossible to sing. Mm. Those long, long, long phrases. She's so wonderful. Mm. And the range was similar to my range when I was a young woman. I just adored her. Um, but also I was very into Ella, Billie Holiday, Bessie Smith. I was always a jazz head, and um, I've sung jazz all my life too, so I loved all that. What about cast recordings? Because every household seemed to have, you know, their, their My Fair Lady and their, their South Pacific. And Did you have the Rodgers and Hammerstein? Well, um, my very first... Um, thing I can remember about going on an outing with my family was the cinema release of Sound of Music. I sat on my daddy's knee. I was five and uh, we all went and I think my nana was there too and that was a lot of money to take a family of six mm. plus nana to the cinema and I remember all I those felt... chalk tops popcorn uh, well no I don't think we did that I right, think we no. probably ate before we came and it was at the state Jeffers. it was at the state theatre oh, I remember it was yeah. beautiful and I sat on dad's knee and I remember I fell asleep in a big chunk in the middle and woke up at the wedding and thought oh this is nice but after that um, dad bought the um, uh, the, the folio the, the full music score and we just always had the full music score and, and we learned it. I knew every note. And of course we had the cast recording. The other cast recording we had, my dad's uncle died and we went over to clear out the house as you did in those days, you know, find all the things that and help. And uh, there were old records and they had South Pacific with um, Mitzi Gaynor and um, Enzio Pinza. So I listened to that recording. It was a really old record over and over and over and knew every lyric, every word. And I've always loved that role of Nellie Forbush. And the other other one was um, Superstar. I was too young to go. My parents wouldn't take me. I was 11 when it was playing here, I think. My sister got to go on an excursion with her fifth form class. So she, far, yeah, grade, what do we call it? Grade 11. 11, you're 11 these yeah, days, yeah. but they were fifth form. And so she bought the cast recording and I knew every lyric, every word. I would sit there and I thought, this is fantastic. This is the best thing I've ever heard. And then one day my sister walked in and she said, Mary, you're going to ruin your voice doing that vibrato thing at your age. And I said, am I? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I just ignored her. And I loved Superstar. It was yeah, great. Yeah, it's great. You know, what, a, what a vast um, contrast of musical styles there with the, with the Superstar. So spoiled. And then the Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah. Um, you talk of Nellie Forbush. Um, I, I think one of the most wonderful performances I have ever seen was Katrina Retallick. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And Katrina's a mate, but I think that was an absolute career highlight of hers. And and, uh, my now ex-husband, Guy Noble, actually conducted that one. And um, we actually were having a word in John Diedrich's ear at the time. I said, Katrina, 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 Katrina. And he said he was closing his eyes and he was picturing two people he was considering and he'd auditioned them both. And we kept saying, Katrina, Katrina, Katrina. And he chose Katrina. I was like, yes, she is Nellie Forbush. She's perfect. Perfection. Yeah. And... Um, I remember our kids were so little, I took them to Act One at the State Theatre in Melbourne. I, I thought, Act One's all the fun stuff they'll get to see, or do I wash my man right out of my hair? And I thought, and then when all the kind of hard-hitting, like gritty stuff, well, they're not going to last the distance. They were tiny. so But they saw Act One, and they knew Katrina because she'd babysat them at that point, and they saw Daddy because in production company in those days, the orchestra was very much on the stage, and he's right there. Oh, there's Daddy, you know. So that was a cute memory. So listening to Sound of Music, did you ever think that one day you'd be Baroness Alberfield? Well... On stage? Well, she would have been one of the roles I coveted, um, but I didn't play Baroness Alberfield. I played the other Baroness who says basically... I can't even remember her line. She's got one line. But... I was cast. Well, your, your, your resume is wrong. It told me Baroness no, Elberfield. Oh yes, Elberfield, but Elberfield. she's not the Baroness. Oh no, 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 Baroness. Yeah, Baroness Elberfield. That's, that's right. Um, Eleanor Parker. Yes, the, um... yes, is the other one. But yeah, no, I did not think that. But more to the point, it thrilled me to cover Sister Berta 
because she's fun. She in the movie's the she's one the who, funny nun. She's the bad nun who's, oh. who says, you know, oh, Maria, Maria. And she pulls out the, um, the distributor cords in the movie. And, and she was great fun to do. Great fun. Um, but, yes, the Baroness Elberfeld, well, she had this frock that um, – I had to fit, which was um, part of the reason I got it. I think <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, I and I would, but I have another Baroness story because I was actually cast years and years before in a production of The Sound of Music that was to star Marina Pryor as Maria. Wow, that would have been fabulous. Yes, it was, and uh, it was going to be um, Susan Notstrom and the other one, Shulman. Uh, yes, Susan Shulman. Um, uh, Secret Garden. Yes, that lady, and it was before that she was going to do it. And so I had just had my first child, and it was six weeks later, and I popped on a smart sheath dress, and I had I had my figure back. I can't believe it, but I did. And I went in, and I knew Peter Casey very well because I'd already done Les Mis with him, and I auditioned for the Baroness. Anyway, I got the cover, so that's fine, whatever, great. But I was thrilled, and I was going to be one of the, the base nuns. He always, said, he always called me his base nun because I have a very low voice. And that was lovely. And then they kept delaying the production, and they kept delaying it and delaying it. So finally when they said, right, we're good to go, well, I was up the duff again with number two, oh. but so was Marina. Right. So she didn't get to do it either because we would have she would have had pregnant Maria and pregnant none. <laughs> Just, so yeah. I thought, oh, I'll never get to do the sound of music, and then I got to do it in 2016. Oh, brilliant! And it was fantastic. You, you've um, understudied quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and swung. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which are both really special skills. The show can't go on without them. <laughs> Tell me about the, the lot of being an understudy. It, is it frustrating, or you you just take it on? That's the gig, you know that. Um, I think you may I'm, never go on. I think I'm a good understudy because I don't get overly frustrated. I always think, "Am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready? I hope I'm ready." And you do so many rehearsals. People think, "Oh, that's an easy thing. You just turn up at night and go to the theatre." No, you don't. You you re- work all day Tuesdays and all day Thursdays before you go into the theatre at night rehearsing understudy stuff. Um, I think I'm good at it because I commit and I, I don't harass the people I'm understudying, but I watch them and I think, okay, well, I might do that a little bit different, just add a little flavour of me, but you never change the blocking or anything. That's definitely a no-no. Um, and one of my, my funnest ones was The Sound of Music because I was understudying gorgeous Lorraine Bailey who was already 80 as the housekeeper. And the housekeeper's a nice plot. Frau... It's, Frau Schmidt, Schmidt. Frau mm. Schmidt, and she's a little bit more fleshed out in the musical as opposed to the movie. And um, and lovely Lorraine said, as I would tell anyone too, I never go off. She said, I never go off. I pity anyone understudying me. And I was like, noted, duly noted. But I was, you know, watching and doing my own plot and everything, but watching all through. So we, we came to um, opening night and we were rehearsing Christmas carols in the domain uh, no, sorry, we had opening night and Lorraine sprained her ankle in the opening scene and did the whole thing and you could tell she was really hurt. But God bless her, she did the whole show, then they made her go to the party so they could wheel her out as celebrity Lorraine Bailey and this yeah. and that. Then the poor love finally got to go to hospital. Well, of course, they told me at five o'clock the next day, that's the Domain story. We're at the Domain rehearsing the Christmas carols. You're on tonight. And it's quite a large plot and I hadn't actually blocked most of it. So I hadn't rehearsed it. So I, I remember I was at home earlier in the day and I could clearly remember Hayley saying, Mum, stop tidying the house and go over those lines again. I was watching out front your opening night. She fell hard. And my little 17-year-old was saying, Mum, Mum, let's do the lines again. God bless her. And um, so I was on that night and I had had fittings for the costume and everything, so they were beautiful, my own costume and all that. And and I was just on. I was basically being pushed around the stage by the resident director. People were lovely. It was all that. And and it went off without a hitch and I did it for six weeks then while she recovered from her ankle. So, you know. It was my, what my best friend Claudia Chanshaw would call my Peggy Sawyer moment. <laughs> Maybe not exactly, exactly, but it was it was good. It was fun. Sawyer, you're going out there, uh, <laughs> Corrine, and you're coming back a Broadway star. <laughs> Actually, there's a lovely person in Melbourne that you would know, Rob Waterworth. Rod, Rod Rob Waterworth, yeah. Rod Waterworth used to say, for years and years, you and I are the oldest chorus boy and oldest chorus girl in showbiz and uh for years and years that was true and then he used to tut tut and shake his head he said no now you've done principal roles that's not you anymore and I said no really I'll never say never and he said nah you've done principal roles now you're not that person anymore like oh okay (laughs) 
<laughs> so performing was was that always the the uh, goal when you were a kid? Yeah, you wanted to grow up and be. Yeah, well, when your dad is a minister, and dad quit the ministry, I might add, when I was born, he decided to be a doctor, and then that didn't work out, and he became an accountant long term. But when your daddy is involved in the church, still preaching, and he's the church choir conductor and doing solos, being in front of a crowd is second nature. And my father would do recitations by Stanley Holloway and the women all swooned when my father sang. He was good looking too. And um, Young Albert and the Lion. Uh, Young Albert and Sam. He yeah. did all of that and we adored him. And um, it, it becomes, you know, they, Mary, will you do the reading? And I always had a nice speaking voice and, and I was always good at public speaking. So, you know, I'd be doing readings or duets with my father in front of a crowd. It was second nature. I was never scared. And from the age, I can definitely pinpoint them well first of all angel gabriel in second class was the narrator in this christmas pageant and i had all the lines and that was fun and i thought i like this she you know angel gabriel got all the lines and they didn't make it be a boy it's me good excellent and then in years i had been vacillating to be a writer when i was in about fourth class thought i really like writing still like writing thought maybe i'll do that but in sixth class i was cast as lady jane in patience and we did the full production and she, of course, is the mezzo, wonderful character, plays cello. I didn't have a cello, but um, she had the good song. She had funny duet. I thought, this is it. That's who I want to be. And from that moment on, it was eyes on the prize. That is what I will do with my life. And there was never any question of doing anything else. There was never any concern about the minister's daughter going running off to join the theatre? Do you know why? No, because my father's cousin is the late Monica Morn, who was a very fine Melbourne oh, theatre actress. Yes, absolutely wonderful actress. And yeah. she, whenever she was in Sydney, she we'd go and have coffee together or, or a lunch and wine, and whenever I was in Melbourne, same. But her father was President General of the Methodist Church of Australasia, Re- Reverend Dr Harold Wood, and he let his daughter go on the stage, although reluctantly by all accounts, and she was in the box as well. She was only the receptionist in the box but they used to be oh dear she's in that show the box so by the time I got to do it it was considered oh that's fine <laughs> it's just Mary following in the family tradition yeah I'm very proud of the fact that she was my dad's cousin oh yeah, yeah. great great yeah. actor Monica Warren. Yeah, very yeah. fine so um, do you think you finish high school do you think you need to then go on train are you auditioning for places like NIDA and- um, yes I did audition for NIDA and I was very very young and of course didn't get in and and probably knew diddly squat about classical acting in plays. I'd done a few plays. I did lots of musicals at school and at Newington College. I went to MLC, but really my musical training was under a fine educator called Elizabeth Swain, um, who was did all the madrigal choirs. I was always like guest chick in the madrigal choirs. There were a few of us who ran over to there. You got to meet boys, Peter. There were boys. and uh, But also the, the music was fantastic at Newington then in the 70s. And... Um, then after that, I just sort of went, well, now what am I going to do? Well, I went on a rotary exchange to Germany for a year, and that was fabulous. So I became fluent in German and then came back and thought, okay, I'll go and do an arts degree. Um, there were things that I could have auditioned for at the time. VCA had just started, and I thought, well, I've been away from my mum and dad for a year already. I don't think I can do it to them to kind of move into state. I don't know whether I want to be away from my family yeah. for another three years because I've just been overseas by myself for a year and then they started talking about a place called Whopper what Whopper when I was in second or third year uni just starting it would have just been starting just starting and what's that oh no I don't really want to go to Perth either my father ran into my old drama teacher from school a lovely man called John Berwick and John Berwick said to my father oh what's Mary doing now he said she's at uni oh that's interesting could you ask Mary if she'd like to do some shopping centre shows with me and come along and have a bit of a sing and la la la? I said, sure. Would I what? So I ended up doing shopping centre shows for the couple of years I was at uni with John Berwick and they were great ones. It was Barbie and the Rockers uh, and I did one with John Bowles that was Timmy Skyrider and, and Princess Tara, which was obviously based on Star Wars but not yeah, quite. Not quite. And, uh, but they were great learning grounds and, and comparing the shows and getting the kiddies up. It was fantastic learning ground, so I did that. Well, you're serving an apprenticeship of sorts, yes, aren't you? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's really important for, for young people listening to, to our conversation to realise that um, there are all sorts of pathways mm-hmm. to to having a, a very successful career. You don't have to always go off to 
have three years of training. No, indeed. And and that lovely teacher, John Berwick, uh, went on to run Disney Australasia. He was a very switched-on guy. And, and a very great visual artist, too. Yes. Yeah. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Same one? Yes, yes. Oh, my he, gosh. Living in Paris still. Yes, yeah, he yeah. is. I yeah. know him. We'll talk off yeah, mark yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he listens to this occasionally. Oh, so. yeah, well, yeah. he was a real... He, he really, like, that gave me... He said to me, because back in those days, you had to have done professional work and have promise of professional work to get your equity card he said mary go and get your equity card i'll, I'll sign the paper here you know, and like anyone can join equity now they want members but you had to go to the office in all street and king's cross and say hello i've done this shopping center show and i'm going to be doing it next uni holidays and this is the person who vouched for me so my equity card says 1984 was when i joined so that's when i always say i became a professional actor even though that was a couple of years before and um and then I did my apprenticeship at Roman Scandals Theatre Restaurant. <laughs> so did you have an agent? By then I did. Right. So, okay. so they, um, they so found I, I skipped the gig. A, I, I skipped one little step. One little step was I went on New Faces in 1984 wow. with Bert Newton. Ah. God bless him. And I had a very fine experience on that where they were really nice judges and they compared me to Jill Perryman and... Um, and Bert particularly said that, and I was in awe. I was like, oh, wow. And not, not that I'd ever seen Jill on stage, but I knew her by reputation. Mm-hmm. She'd already retired, semi-retired to Perth by then. And I, and it was kind, and I won Bert's Encouragement Award and got to the finals. And then I was runner-up of the series final with complete laryngitis. Like, I literally could barely say a sound, but I just acted my socks off, and Alison Jaya and I came second. And Alison Jaya has had a wonderful career yeah. in the West End, and yeah. she's a great songwriter, and she sang one of her own songs, and I was like, well, she should have won. Anyway, somebody else won that year, not Alison and I, but we were runners-up. So I, I've got Burt's Encouragement Award, 1984, in my cabinet. And again, we're skipping ahead a few decades. Opening night of The Producers in 2004... I vaguely mentioned to Bert early in rehearsals, oh, you know, I was on New Faces. He said, I think I remember you. And I said, oh, you gave me the encouragement award and I've still got it. So he went out and he got a Tiffany Star key ring and he engraved it, Meredith O'Reilly Encouragement Award 2004. And it's one of my most treasured possessions. And that's Bert the man. I mean, so beautiful. So anyway, yes. then... Oh, I, I just want to start, yes. yeah, yeah, so treasure Bert's uh, memory for, for a moment there. Because yes. you got to work with him, producers, but yes. also Sound of Music. No. No, he'd left by then, was he? No, no, or, he no? wasn't in our production. That was a oh, later, right. later oh. production, March right. later. That was 2016 I did Sound of Music. Right. Okay. Much later. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Because he played Uncle with, Max in one yeah, of Yeah, he did. I saw him. It was terrific. Yeah, yeah. But this was with Amy La Palma, most recent one, with Opera Australia right, right. that I was in. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but God bless Bert. A, a oh, great, my gosh. A great what talent. a generous and beautiful man. Yeah. I mean, seriously. And funny, they will never make his like again. That yeah. quick wit. It was yeah. just really one of a kind. I'm honoured to have known him and he was so kind to everyone. Yep. Memory like a steel trap too. Yep. Like really, he would never forget a name. I don't know how he did it. I'm terrible with names. I remember faces but never names. We were in um, uh, Wizard of Oz with him mm. and I remember as the wizard he would leave in the balloon at the end of the, the performance, end of the show and the balloon got stuck one night. Oh my God. He ad-libbed for what seemed like an eternity. I mean, it was probably only about 10 minutes but it was hysterical. Oh my it gosh. Was... And people would have said, oh, I was there the night he did that and that yeah. would be, you know, yeah. they'd remember that forever. Yeah. Well, so after I went on New Faces... I was with an, a, an agent, June Riley, and it was mostly being sent for um, oh, little bits and pieces of um, ads and the odd musical and not really getting anywhere. But she said, oh, I've got this um, theatre restaurant, Roman Scandals, I'll send you along. And so I went along and it was for Dirty... Oh, sorry, no, it was for Dirty Dicks. You know, where they used to put people in the stocks and throw oranges at them. It's yes, a bit before and, your time. but it, No, no, it, that, was, it came out of Perth, didn't it? It came Dirty out of Dicks. Perth and it was and up in Crow's loaves of bread yeah, and you yeah. and the wenches with the bosoms and... and I don't have the bosoms or anything <laughs> so I went in to do my audition and and Coralie Condon God bless her socks she was well in her 70s then John Condon James Condon's sister and she'd been a talk show host in um, Perth when women never did such things she was a fabulous woman she stood up and she said we've been looking for you we saw you on new faces and this was some months later and I said oh really oh okay well here I am and she said oh we think you're a bit good for dirty dicks and I thought that's that's kind of cute she said we'd love you to be our leading lady in Roman scandals if you can just wait till January we'll give you a year's contract and it's a you know it's a three-act play and you'll be the lead and everything and I went I reckon I can wait till January that sounds pretty good to me and the money was 
unreal. So I just waitressed for a few months. I'd already left university and I and um and then I started there. And the people in the show before were Peter Lowry, I can't remember who it was, but in my show there we had Ron Blanchard and later Peter Whitford and Barry Hope, my leading man, was wonderful. And um, So it was a bit like a um up Pompeii or Totally. Um, um, a funny thing happened on the way yeah. to the forum, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and Bucks Nights and Hens Nights. Unfortunately, the room itself had a very low ceiling and carpets, and so sound was always an issue. Now, we had microphones with cords for our songs, but we did the dialogue without a mic. I mean, how? I mean, that's how you learn to hit the back wall, right? You yep. really do, and yep. I did. Yep. But you've got rowdy Bucks Nights and this and that, and then radio mics came in, and then we'd pick up the taxi signals of all the <laughs> passing cars. <laughs> Car 25, right in the middle of your song. But I do have my funniest story from then, and it's, I think, why I never get stage fright. Um, I was singing Rahat Lakum from Kismet, of all things, in this lovely flowing gown by... Bob Murphy, who designed Torval and Dean's. Bob Mackey, then? No, Bob Bob Murphy, Murphy, who designed Torval and Dean's costumes when they did Bolero and, you know, won the ice skating things. He did the costumes. They were stunning. And mine were just beautiful flowing gowns with long slits up the side. Great. Not showing too much and beautifully constructed and everything, whereas there were very scantily clad dancing slave girls either side of me. But I had these beautiful gowns. And one night this bucks got up. And um, I was singing Rahat Lakum. He just was obviously being egged on, or one of his mates at the table, just picked me up and put me over his shoulder and walked out in the alleyway. Like, it literally into the alleyway. Mid-show. mid song. Yeah. And, and Barry Hope, who looked like a gladiator, he was about six foot two and he had this leather suit on, massive guy. He walked out and the way he got around, he just tapped the guy on the shoulder. No one could hear or see this, but I did. And he said, she's my woman. Put me over his shoulder, carried me back in, plonked me on the stage, and I kept going. Ridiculous. But what will ever frighten you again when you've actually been carried off into an alley in the middle of a song? (laughs) Well, it's one thing being in a musical where you are performing to a house full of living, breathing people. But in theatre restaurant, when you are performing to a house of living, breathing uh, pissed drug, people, drug people. Yes, yes. yes. It's a, it's a whole new um, uh, test, isn't it? A it new, really um, was. new way of uh, learning how to cope with audience. And, and I uh, and I learnt all that wonderful theatre etiquette. I have fantastic um, co-workers, Sandra Gahar and Joanne Manning, in particular. Sandra Gahar, uh, Auntie of Eden Gahar, and various people in that very famous family. She was great. She'd just done West Side Story. She was a bit older than me, and she just taught me all sorts of really sensible things. It was a tiny little unisex dressing room, essentially. She just taught me all sorts of things I needed to know about how to do my hair and how to this and that. And then after her came a beautiful ballet dancer from Rockhampton called Joanne Manning, who taught me how to wear a G-string and taught me how to do a French roll and things like for after the show, things, life skills. And Joanne went on to have a huge career on Broadway, working directly under Susan Stroman as a choreographer. Um, so, you know, some they were they were great people going through this learning place and Coralie Condon famously gave Greta Skarki, Judy Davis and I think Elise McCune their very first jobs in Dirty Dicks in Perth and she gave me my very first sort of long-running paid contract too but I'm not famous like them. <laughs> uh, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Uh, yes, but all those little jobs that, t- that you are when you when you first start a career mm. as an actor or whatever you don't know anything about until you know the the older echelon take you under their arms and mm. their wings and, and, mm. and teach you. Absolutely. So, um, One Day More, is that your first big pro show, Les Mis? Yes. Yeah. And I wasn't a child. I was 28. But I kept auditioning for musicals and almost getting in. You know, I would get to really long way down and almost getting in. I thought, there's really something missing. There's a piece missing. And I thought, I need to do something about the missing piece. Apart from the fact that I'm not a very good dancer, but there's obviously no dancing in Les Mis. I auditioned for Les Mis when it, in the very first round in Australia and uh, it was out of the showground. And my audition, I sang, I remember, It's a Fine Life from Oliver, which has always been a bit of a lucky song for me. And I expected a panel, but there was no panel. There was John Robertson behind a big desk in a big empty room at the showground. Okay, I went in, I sang my song, and he leant forward and he said, Thank you very much, Meredith. That was very good. We'll be in touch. And I thought, oh, okay, whatever. And I went home. Next day, the headline of the Sydney Sun said, and it was John at that same desk, we've seen 500 people in the previous two days in in Australia, in New, in Sydney, for this new production, and we're calling back two men and one woman only. And my agent had already rung and said, you call back. 
I was one of those. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Long story short, I didn't get in. Right. So I kept getting so close. And I think, oh, okay, what do I need to do? Well, then the Actors Centre had just started in Sydney in Surrey Hills in a little church. Dean Carey. Dean Carey. Yeah. And, and they advertised a Sondheim course. And it must have been one of my music theatre mates, I reckon. Maybe even Michelle Guthrie, someone like that, mentioned right. it to me, right. said... You know, there's a course of Sondheim songs and, you know, we, we should do that. I reckon that'd be good. And I think I went, oh, all right. And it was just this, some guy from America called Stephen Lloyd Help or whatever. Well, Stephen's become a lifelong friend, but Stephen worked on with Stephen Sondheim and, and Hal Prince and knows them, knows the late Stephen Sondheim. Did he, did he work on Follies, the original production? Or? I think so. Yeah. And he was supposed to be on secondment, having just graduated himself, to Merrily and went, oh... No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I've got this other paid gig over here. It was sort of an internship. So he did that instead. So he dodged that whole bullet of Merrily that was a bit of a mess, but yeah. it was famously yeah. a mess, you know. The best, worst thing that the ever happened. The best, worst thing that yeah. happened. Fabulous documentary. Yeah. So I did these classes uh, in Sondheim and then and we loved them. And, and there were great people around me, David Whitney, Jackie Reese, uh, Michelle Guthrie, of course, Jonathan Ma, who now MDs all around the world, all sorts of shows. He's Dr. Hook's MD, for goodness sake. And and a great um, um, Anita Combe. We were all sitting there, these little, like, quite early or mid-career people, but looking at this as, like, something we can learn. And boy, did we learn. And Lizzie Partridge was always the MD. And it was fantastic. And then he advertised another one. So we did another one. And then the culmination was Into the Woods. So I just did, um, I think I did Florinda, the ugly stepsister, like great role, gets a toe chopped off. But it was the first presentation of Into the Woods in Australia. It was just before the STC one actually opened. But they all came and watched. So Sheldy was there and Geraldine and John O'May and they were all watching. And it was just a really good little showcase but I actually learnt something there I learnt how to act the song join the dots and I've absolutely credited Stephen with teaching me that and then the next time Lame is auditioned I got in and I got 10 days notice that you're off and you're a swing what's a swing I don't know what's a swing so what do you think the difference was you you were then able to be conscious of playing the text rather than just yeah. singing the notes y- yeah I mean I'd always I, f- I felt like I'd always acted the character but it was the thoughts behind what you're about to sing you know it's that moment before why why are you singing that like what did you just think of that makes you then say that and it's all those little joining the dots things yeah. that I that were clearly missing all that time you know so it was just it was wonderful it was eye opening and it, it's been the key let's chat about some other shows that you've done. <laughs> um, the producers, Hold Me, Touch Me. <laughs> um, you're, I mean, in a, in a cast full of very funny people, very funny characters, you were very, very funny. Thank you. Thank um, you. you got a Helpman nomination too, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I yeah. think I might have got a Green Room nomination too. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, it was, it was divine. And, again, you know, I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old at home. I weighed 47 kilos. I had 10 quick changes. Um, I, I I don't know how I did it. There were long stretches of time where I was the single mother to those kids because their dad was away conducting South Pacific with Katrina in Adelaide um, and other shows. But um, uh, it was I reckon that was the show I've enjoyed the most. I think I mean I love Les Mis, which I did for a year on another level and on a different plane. But I think the most fun I've ever had was the producers, and again it was. You know, I got in by the skin of my teeth. Height was a thing. Five foot six was the cutoff, and I'm five six, and you had to be taller because those women are fabulous with the pretzels on their the head. The showgirls, yeah, yeah. All the showgirls. Yeah. But everyone had to be taller than five six. Um, and um, also, I'm not a dancer, and it's a very dancey show, but I learnt that. Uh, I can still do it the, the, with, the, with, those, those, with the walkers, that, that thing. Oh, yeah, the, um, along came yeah. Bialy. Hilarious. Yeah. It's the funniest thing ever, that, that Corey. It was so clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are um, a, a, a litany of um, supporting characters, mm. um, you know, the, the, mm. the female supports that you had. Was, was Did Jackie Hoffman do that on Broadway? She did. She did. Yeah, she which, did. Which leads us to another Jackie Hoffman role. <laughs> Grandma in, in The Addams Family. I know, I know. Um, that was... 
Oh my gosh, that was again a joy. It only ran for three months in Sydney, which just about broke my heart, but here I still am. But first of all, when I heard Jerry Zacks was coming out for the callbacks, which I had got one of, my head nearly blew off. People didn't know who Jerry Zacks was that I spoke. Who's Jerry Zacks? I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, you know how Faith Prince and Nathan Lane are now superstars because they were in Guys and Dolls? That was Jerry Zacks. He was... Was he was in the original Grease on Broadway as he a chorus was. boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he, he he's like he's Mister Funny. He knows from Funny. He he's like from the Catskills and that that like school of comedy. And um, so when I was in that rehearsal room with him, I was just so excited. I couldn't even be nervous. It was like the final round. I couldn't be nervous because my hero was sitting there and he was laughing at me. And I, I was like, ah, oh, this is a dream come true. I don't even care if I get the role now because I've been in a room with Jerry Zaks and he laughed. And then I got it. So that was fun. It was super fun. And we had to not tell anyone for a year. It was torture. Torture. Because that was really my first principal role, the grandma and the Adams family in my own right. And um, So was the cast that far away? It was a long way away. I was doing Love Never Dies. And also um, Ben, oh, my gosh, Ben... Um, his surname's got, gone out of my brain, but he played Lurch, and, and Ben was alongside me in Love Never Dies, and we both had to just be stumm. It was the worst-kept secret in that company, but we weren't allowed to tell anyone and, you know, dragged it out. And... It was a fun show and, and a really terrific production with a great cast, John yeah. Waters, Chloe Delamore. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, lovely Tony... Um, Harvey. Harvey, Katrina Ritalik. Absolutely. Russell Dykstra. Yeah, yeah. He was fabulous at Spester. He'd never done a musical. He was fabulous. So why do you think it didn't go? I don't know. I think there were one little niggling thing was people wanted the theme song. And it was, you get a few bars of it in the beginning of the overture. You get da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na. And then it went straight into a completely different number. And everyone was waiting to sing it, and they didn't get it. So there's that. But I don't know. People didn't sort of understand what they were coming to see. It's a mystery to me to this day. I mean, it wasn't a huge success on Broadway. It was moderately successful. But the songs were good. Look, if we knew what worked and what didn't, we'd all be millionaires when we producing shows. Right? But it was a fun experience, I can say that. And, you know. It was good. Oh, and a funny story about Jerry Zach. So then, you know, we're rehearsing and everything, and I'm like, oh. And we'd sit around in a circle for notes, and he'd, he'd look around the room and he'd go, Tony Harvey, yes? He'd say, just do that again. Every time. The rest of us got reams of notes. Oh, you could do that. You could do less of that, more of that every night. Tony Harvey, just do that again. Oh, my God, I was so jealous. <laughs> Lucky he was my dear friend. I was like, Tony never gets any notes. <laughs> so working in these, in these um, Australian commercial productions of shows uh, put you in close contact with people like Jerry Zacks and, and, and world creators uh, yeah. and performers. Yeah. And on chess, you got to, to work uh, up close and personal with Barbara Dixon. Yes. Well, chess. Now, chess is one of my favourite uh, disaster musicals. I've, I've been in so many musicals that flopped that I actually put a whole cabaret show together about it. But um, chess was a chess was a doozy. Uh, the producers are from New Zealand and their names are the Stetsons or McPhersons and they're actually now banned from producing in Australia because of the following one they did, which was Jekyll and Hyde, which I also foolishly did. Uh, but um, chess uh, was starring Daryl Braithwaite, who'd never done a musical. Fabulous voice. Sherbet. Mm. Sherbet. Fabulous voice to do Freddie. Um, and uh, Barbara Dixon had been flown out at great expense from London um, on the on the you know heels of having done lead roles, Blood Brothers and all of that. And she sang on the original I Know Him So Well yes, from the, Chess. You know, fabulous. Mm. But, but, you know. Uh, Remember when you bought LPs? Yes. yes. And time had moved on. So, but it wasn't a great production. It had some great people in it. Derek Metzger. Delia Hanna was understudying Barbara. She was fabulous. And um, Fern Reynolds, who's still performing these days, he, we often joke about, well, well, there's an opening number in chess that's never done called Murano, set yeah. in Switzerland, yeah. where everyone's running around in lederhosen. What the hell? It's a Gilbert and Sullivan-esque, People yeah. don't know. They, they, hang on. We've come to see Benny and Bjorn's chess, and there are people in lederhosen. So... I was in Lederhosen and so was Thurn and, and like we always roll our eyes. And there was a shopping trolley ballet, like we all had shopping trolleys on a rate stage trying to control them at one point in a different part of the show. I mean, the whole thing was a disaster, let me tell you. And there was not a good director at the helm. And long story short, you know how in showbiz you have to get 
three weeks notice when you're going to close in Australia. We got our closing notice on opening night. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, oh. So you ran three weeks? Yep. Oh, dear. Yep. <laughs> that, that must be very disheartening. Yeah, but, you I know, mean... it smelled it smelled bad from the get-go and the costumes were kind of shabby. They'd been brought over from New Zealand and we were wearing other people's costumes. And Jackie Dark, God, God love her, the fantastic operatic mezzo who I adore, she and I were beside each other as Corrines and, and Jackie said, oh, I think I'm going to go off and be an opera singer. I went, yeah, I think that's a good idea, Jackie. And of course then she was Reverend Mother and the Sound of Music when I did it, which was so lovely to finally work together in a nice thing that worked. But um, no, this was a disaster. And the thing about chess is... It's a fabulous musical score in search of a story. And there's always been this rumour after the success of Mamma Mia that Benny and Bjorn would go to their island and rewrite the book. Please, God, let them rewrite the book so that it actually works. It's coherent because the songs are beautiful. Great great fun to sing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the new Rocky Horror Show, how is that different to the Rocky Horror Show? I don't think it is. They just called it that maybe to to put a hook on it. Because having seen the movie and then having been in the new Rocky Horror Show at Star City, I thought, this is the same script. There's nothing different at all. So I was magenta alternate. Jenny Valetic was magenta. and, And I said, oh, to my agent, I'd like to actually do magenta. Can you ask? And Jenny had already been doing it for six months in Hong Kong or whatever. And she said, oh, yes, I know, Meredith. That's great. Let her do two shows a week. No, I have two nights off. So it was fabulous. So I could ask people along and, I, you know, and she's the usherette slash um, magenta. So it's a wonderful dual role. And um, it was a great production. Tim Ferguson was Frankenfurter. Um, so Nigel Triffitt? Directed? Nigel Triffitt yeah. directed it. Interesting man. And designed? And designed. Um, but it was it was fraught, and the reason it was fraught was very early in the production. We had the most, I think it's still the worst thing that's ever happened to me in showbiz. So beautiful Dale Jewell, who I had toured with as a very young, rambunctious stage manager, aged 19 in Hello Dolly, was now a mature young man. He was 21, and um, we were doing Rocky Horror, and he was, I think, second in charge ASM. Beautiful young man. And... His job was to stand in front of a particular curtain and stop people falling down a big black hole that fell about nine metres where there was a recessed castle that then rose up later in the show. And I was one of the people he protected because as the usherette, you have a blinding spotlight in your eyes. You run off in the dark, do a quick change and run back on as magenta. And behind you is a curtain and a hole. So one night, Dale was there on the other side of the curtain in front of the hole, lost his footing and fell. And no. fell nine metres and landed on his head. Oh, no. And it was terrible. It happened no. early in the show, at that moment in the show. And I'd had nightmares about it happening, weirdly, because I just kept... I don't know what. Something made me think, that's really dangerous. I, I don't know. Um, so this was back in 1998. And um, Dale was... A week, the show went on. We knew he was down the hole. The ambulance was there. We were made to keep going, keep singing. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. Yeah, whatever. And he was put in an induced coma for a fortnight. And then they turned the machines off. And I will never forget, on that Sunday performance, Nigel Triffitt on one knee in front of me saying, Mary, we're going to do the show. And Dale would want that, you know, his third generation showbiz. He would want the show to go on. And for a moment I thought, I'm not sure. I think the most awful thing has just happened. Someone is now dead. And we'd all been and, visiting him at his bedside. And the and, company need to process that. I, I, oh, I guess, God, yes. They, before, yeah. And they were lovely company, beautiful people, Wilbur Wilde, Red Simons. These men, are, you see them on the telly, you think, oh, they'll be, you know, pains in the arse. Beautiful, kind, lovely people. And Jay LaGaia and people like that and, and Tim Ferguson, they're all really genuine, warm human beings. And it was put to me that I was probably the only one that didn't want the show to go on that night. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But I just felt bereft. I just thought, this is the most awful thing. Is that your Methodist background? I don't know. No. I just thought, really, does the show go on when someone's just died from amongst us? I yes, guess maybe there is that, that, that old adage, the show must go on. Yeah, you know, and I agree with that. Like, yeah. I know I'm, I'll go on sick as a dog or Under whatever. Under certain circumstances, yeah. But yeah. I just thought, anyway, so the show did go on. And and then we had a memorial for Dale and so on and so forth. But, you know, his beautiful parents, Carrie and Elise, have never got over it. And his lovely brother, Dean, who's still in the biz. Well, you couldn't. And, no. But, 
lots of things changed OH&S wise in the biz after that and you know as an older performer people tell you as I was told but I remember Robin Arthur and John Diedrich both said don't run backstage in Les Mis don't run you'll turn around a corner and you'll slam into someone and and I was you know be careful backstage it's dark it's dangerous and people can die and people look at you like ah, ah. well someone did die yeah. on a show I was on so be very careful backstage and now of course the, they've got cameras everywhere up above and I mean I think they had them in those days too which is the worst thing the stage manager probably would have seen with the ultraviolet camera camera you know the fall it's just oh, so traumatic you know terrible business to have happened and I was I, I, I became pregnant shortly thereafter with Haley, and it seemed to me that after that time a little bit more levity came back to the company and people were like well at least we've got something nice to celebrate that there's you know someone's got a baby in their tummy yeah. you know so I did um, Rocky Horror up to 20 weeks with Haley, <laughs> And then we closed. Thank God, because I don't think I had another show in me. I was so tired. Yes. Did you have to... Uh, were you showing? Were you, had to... Look, not really, because I always looked like I had a beach ball up my tummy, oh. like even at the end. And so I would. we had to run around amongst the audience and, and kind of mingle with them at the Star City showroom because there were drinks and tables and chairs, a bit like theatre restaurant, right? And, and I'd jump up and stick my tummy out and say, I'm pregnant! And the, the patrons would go, no, you're not, I go, I bloody am! <laughs> And then they go, oh, be careful. And I'm like, no, no, no. And the company were great. They they adjusted the corrie because one dangerous thing uh, when you're pregnant is to lie on your back and do leg actions, scissor actions and cross your legs. It's quite dangerous. Yeah. You'll be told that, you know. And we had Busby Berkeley type corrie that actually did that. And they, they'd say, Mary, just run off in the wings and then run back on again. So I would do that run off and come back on. I don't think I showed. Um, they Everything was corseted and everything, and there, were, there was an apron with magenta, so you could sort of hide it, and there was a loose coat as the usher read. It was fine. I don't think anyone ever knew that I didn't want to know. Now, um, the carnival was almost over for you. Um, joining the Seekers. Um, <laughs> well, Tell me about that. Well, after I went in on New Faces, I thought, oh, this uh, Talent Quest thing's a bit of a go. So I went in um, the Royal Agricultural Society Talent Quest in um, Bicentennial Talent Quest run by Gordon Boyd in 1988, and I won that and won a shitload of money in a set of encyclopedias. So that was good. Um, and then I thought, oh, there was this thing called the Australian Singing Competition, which was originally run by Grace Brothers, that's how old it was, but $20,000 prize. And and Margie DeFerranti, my dear friend from uni, had won the year before, so I thought, oh, I might have a crack at that. So it's a contemporary, but, you know, modern singing competition, not your operatic people or whatever. So I was in the finals for that, and it was a lovely gala evening at the overseas terminal, you know, right on the harbour there where the ships come in, full orchestra, and, um, and I sang a song called Benny's From Heaven, which I still sing to this day, which is a parody on Pennies From Heaven. And it's about an unwanted wartime pregnancy when the husband's away. It's very oh. funny. Um, and I was had victory rolls in my hair and this, they, they provided clothes for us. They said, look, after these boutiques and, you know, whatever. And so I had quite a 40s looking outfit. So two things came out of that night. One was Lady Mary Fairfax was one of the three judges, along with Keith Potger from The Seekers. And she then booked me to sing at her soirees at her home for quite a few years. It was really fun. Got wow. to meet some really interesting, famous wow. people there doing that because she just liked my style or whatever. And um, Keith Potker came up to me afterwards and said, uh, do you have an agent? I said, oh, yes, Mr. Potker. He said, I'm Keith Potker. I said, I know that, Mr. Potker. I know who you are. <laughs> my sister had played every single Seeker song. That was another record we had, and she also had the piano albums and uh, knew all those songs. And he said, uh, oh, I'll be in touch. We're putting the band back together. I'll be in touch. And I thought, oh, I'll probably never hear from him again. He rang my agent, Martin Bedford, the next day and said, yes, we'd be interested in seeing Meredith O'Reilly. We're putting the band back together for Expo 1988 up in Brisbane. And um, I had just signed a three-month contract for a play starring the late Michael Haas. I was cast by Graham Blundell and directed by Lex Marinos. I was the only girl in it, and it was this play about strippers called Starkers. But they were all out-of-work, out of unemployed men, and I was the stripper who taught them how to strip. Right. So it's like the Full Monty, yeah. pre-dating the Full Monty yeah. by quite a long way. And... Um, so I had signed the contract and I thought, well, I'm only a young performer. It's a, it's bad form to break a contract. 
But I feel like maybe my gorgeous agent, Martin Bedford, might have said, Mary, why don't you just go and have a sing with them and we'll, we'll work it out after. But I think at the time my memory is that he said, oh, yeah, you're right, and we let it go. So then they hired this no-talent bum, Julie Anthony. Like, what the what, hell? What the? To, to, you know, but literally I was asked to go. And I never understood it in a way. I've got a very clear singing voice. Like, a, it's not a husky voice or anything. So I sort of thought I can see how that could sound a bit like Judith Durham's beautiful, clear, clear tone. But I don't have that same vibrato. However... Then when I read her biography years and years and years and years and years later, she was a jazz singer. They used to sing jazz stuff. Yes, yeah. And and as you know, and so they would have heard her singing something like that style of swing music when they first heard her sing. So he saw something in me that reminded him of Judy Durham. And I was like, uh-huh. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> misstep, career misstep. Yes, by that Tick, much. Another <laughs> one. <laughs> Meredith, what's what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you? Oh, that's easy. 35 plus year career. Oh, that's easy. Now, this is quite a famous story in music theatre um, annals now, unfortunately. So when I was in Les Mis, which was my very first big professional musical, and it was a delight. It was just such a delight. Starring Rob Guest as the perfect Jean Valjean, because he's a big guy, the late Rob Guest. So he really looked like Valjean. He was wonderful. And Peter Cousins and Sylvie Palladino was the most dream cast. So I was a swing, and I was a terrible swing. I'd never been a swing. I didn't know what a swing was. But I covered eight plots, and I was on six out of eight shows a week. Everyone was always sick, because it's a big sing, you know. And um, this particular night, I was playing an urchin, and... Um, uh, everyone dies at the end of Act One, pretty much on the barricades, and they're all lying there, very dead. And uh, Jean Valjean picks over the bodies, looking for Marius, his ward's, you know, boyfriend, to try and save him. And he he whispers, Marius, you know, quite famously, and then picks him up over his shoulder and carries him off and into the sewers. Fabulous moment. So everyone's dead, facing downstage. I was very dead and uh, very far downstage. Now, in my defence. <laughs> The curtain had been mucking up a bit in Adelaide. This was in Adelaide and it had been coming in a bit a bit too soon or a bit, you know, and, and John Dietrich was very OH&S and he was playing Javert at that point and he said, oh, everyone, I'm a bit concerned about this curtain. Just be careful in case it comes in. So I was I was sort of a bit, bit nervy about the curtain. Anyway, I'm there lying face down in the thing. And think about it. Whispered, sotto voce. Oh, and I have to back this up by saying... Um, Rob Guest was a beautiful mentor to me and to many others, but yep. he would, because I was terrible, I was never in the right place. I was nearly getting gun barrels in the face on the barricade, scrambling up as an urchin. And he'd say, Mary, look out. Mary, Mary. He was always saying, Mary. <laughs> and other people, I'd always hear voices, Mary. So I was never in the right place. I knew all the notes. I was fabulous. I had great characterizations. I was never in the right place. And um, that's why I've never swung again. And um, on this night, I don't know why, he just, instead, he said, Marius. And my head went up like a shot. I looked around left. I looked right. Oh, fuck. Everyone's dead. Oh, I said fuck. And then I put my head down. And well, everybody saw. So the audience would have seen, yes, but whatever. But the people around me, there were heaving shoulders on everybody on that stage. And they never let it live me down. And I've always told the story against myself. And God bless him, Rob Guest told it on Spicks and Specs. And he even named and shamed me. Right. Um, and they and people ring me up and they say, I've just seen him, Rob, tell the story about you on Spicks and Specs. Which was very sweet. Um, but... Um, I had a young person. In fact, I've had it happen twice. Young performers like fresh out of Whopper or whatever. And I go, oh, I was a terrible swing. I only ever did it once. Oh, you were a bad swing. I heard about this girl, right? In Les Mis, right? And she, and I'll go, yeah, that was me. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Meredith. It does sound Especially like Especially if Meredith. someone's been calling your name sort of Oche for a year and you're yeah. hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> Do you have a, um, a an opening night routine? Perhaps tied in with superstition in the theatre, something, a ritual that you go through? Look, probably not. You know, one of my opening night frustrations always is I haven't finished the cards. You've got to write the cards for everyone. And people are organised and they're, they're doing them for hours. Often when you're understudying, you're earning a, learning a lot of extra stuff. Yeah. And there's only a few times I haven't been covering or understudying. Uh, that's my excuse. And also I've often had children to, to feed and so on before going to the theatre. Um, so I'm always madly <laughs> out the cards running around with the cards and um uh so uh, i don't 
think so. I don't have a really lovely ritual that says, ah, here I am, it's opening night. It's usually me tearing around, finishing off cards. (laughs) (laughs) Do do you have a favourite part of the theatre, a place that you really feel connected to uh, to the environment? Look, I do like the dressing room. Yeah. I know people say the wings. The yeah. wings are good, but the wings can be fraught with anticipation and nerves or, or, or just here we go. That is good and exciting. I, I love those lights around the mirror and you're there and, and I love hearing everyone else through the tannoy and you listen, oh, they did that a bit differently tonight. Oh, listen to that. Oh, gosh, he's singing well. And if another cover's on or something, oh, isn't that fabulous? That's gone yeah. so well. Yeah. I really like the dressing room. And I've always liked a room full of girls in the dressing room. I've always got on great with the girls. They've always been younger than me, always. Since the beginning, they've always been younger than me. And so I, I take on this sort of mama bear, I guess, role in a way, whether, I'm, whether I mean to or not. But mm. it's fun and they keep you young. Mm. You know, mm. it's great fun. And um, so I enjoy that. You know, in the few times when I've had just my own little dressing room, I've been like, oh, it's a bit quiet in here, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit quiet. <laughs> well, um, Marius, um, it, it's been great chatting to you and catching up Thank again you, over this, this past hour. Um, hopefully it's not too long before we see you on a stage again. Well, you never know. I mean, it's the dual career, isn't it? Real estate showbiz, real estate showbiz. Yes, you, do, you don't know what's around the corner, do no, you? No, one never knows. No, do one. No, one doesn't. <laughs> um have a very jolly Christmas. Thank I think you. we can say that now, can't yeah, we? Yeah, we we're, can. It's we're December. In December. Yeah, yeah. So, well. And I love Christmas. I do. I'm trying to find a real tree. It's always hard to find a real tree early in December. They last a month. You know those um, things you put around a Christmas tree with uh, the uh, screws and the water? The legs? Or? Yeah, well, no, it's a bowl and you right. screw the screws the into the trunk in. of the tree. Mm. That's an Australian invention. It's really? like a big saucer with screws. We invented those plastic things, and I've got a fabulous old red one I've had for 20 years. What's it called? I don't know. The, hi- the Hill's Hoist. The red and screw the, thing. The, the, the tree screw. Yeah, it's like they've got um, yeah, they've got four little screws, and they're usually brass, so they look nice, and um, and you pull the, put the tree in, screw the screws in to keep it nice and straight and steady, and then you pour your water in, and that's where you water every day in there. It's great. We used to have the old buckets of sand, right? Pine for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it goes for a month. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks for the chat. Oh, it's been a delight. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Meredith is a great delight, and I'm thrilled that Stages was able to record this conversation with her. She loves every moment of the business and the opportunities that have been presented to her in a vast and impressive career. No doubt she has tuned in and is listening to this episode as she does her Saturday domestic duties. So, hello, Marius. And thank you for your chat today. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far. It's about four years worth by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. Keep well, everyone. Stay safe. And I'll catch you next time.